This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yeah. John, did you hear about the, the, the teacher who doesn't like to teach in public? No. He was a private tutor. John. Wait, the, I don't get what. Wait. Why is that a pun? I, th- I told the joke wrong. That's just an observation. <laughs> I told the joke wrong. Retell, retell the joke. Tell it from scratch, and so we can find out just how good it was going to be before you messed it up. Okay, God, I'm so frazzled. I really love it when the punchline of a joke has been ruined. <laughs> I I love the second telling of the joke. Yeah, listen so much. What did you hear about the teacher? Yeah, who only likes to fart in private. Oh, who only likes to <laughs> fart in private? Yes, instead of teach. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a private yeah. tutor. He was a private tutor. Oh God, it's teachers. It's teachers. <laughs> Teacher day, John. <laughs> well, well, Hank, what a beautiful way to honor <laughs> the teachers of the world with that joke. Really lovely. Thank oh, you. Boy, uh, I do appreciate uh, all of the people who have taught me. Uh, I mean, thank you to teachers, but really an extra special thank you to Hank Green for honoring <laughs> teachers in such a deeply meaningful way. Oh, God, I, I am so thankful to all of the, the people who have taught me. And also, education is the foundation on which all progress is built, John. So thank you to everybody who does that job. I, too, am grateful to all of my teachers, but I am especially grateful to my children's teachers oh, yeah. who are doing incredible work in extraordinarily difficult circumstances, as is the case for so many teachers around the world right now. So thank you for finding ways to remain committed to your students, even in this time of extreme difficulty. Yes, it's hard. Hank, I would like to begin today with a question from Estelle that I've been thinking about ever since I first read Estelle's email. Dear John and Hank, 
why do superheroes fly with their hands and fists stretched in front of them? <laughs> is it better for like steering? Is it to pulverize oncoming obstacles? Please help Estelle. <laughs> yeah, if you're going fast enough, I guess you got to be worried. If you think about it. If you're literally flying right. faster than a speeding bullet, yes. then something that you hit that is stationary is moving as fast to you relative to you as a speeding bullet. Right. So maybe you want that to hit your fists instead of your head. That is absolutely correct. I don't think that's the primary reason, yeah. though, why superheroes fly with their arms out in front of them. I, I have a theory, I, but I'd like to hear yours. Here is my theory, and it's based on my observation of high-level competitive swimmers. Mm. They kick off the wall, and then when they could just hold their hands like at, at their sides while they were doing the like dolphin kick, what they actually do is they put their hands in front of their heads, which I assume is there's some aerodynamic or mm -hmm. water dynamic in this case reason for. Right. So I assume that, that, that Superman is doing this to go faster. I think that would be correct if Superman put his hands together in front of his head and made himself into a wedge. That's a great point. Very good observation. That would allow him to move fastest through the air. Because when you're moving as fast as a speeding bullet, like it is, like the air becomes a substantial amount of, of resistance. Yeah. Like you have to cut through that air. It becomes yeah. basically a solid. You want to be like basically bullet shaped. Yeah, but he doesn't do that. And do you know why? Great point. <laughs> I don't know why. It's vanity. Oh. Because it looks cool. And we all want to think that Superman doesn't care how cool he looks. But he does. But Superman is not, like, his muscles have nothing to do with his strength. He only works out so he can look good. That's right. He could be my size and he would still have super strength. That's right. He is an alien. So he only looks good because he wants to look good. It turns out he's not just vulnerable to kryptonite. He's also vulnerable to social judgment. He is. And we all are. He's just like us. He feels scared all the time, and he's worried that he might not be beautiful, and he might not be worthy of love. But I will say to Superman what I try to say to myself, what I'll say to you, Hank, what I, I think is true of every person and or alien from <laughs> Cal-El on this planet right now, Close. which is that we are all worthy of loving and worthy of being loved. And it makes sense in a way, Hank, because Superman, you know, like he kind of grew up without a family. He has to feel a little bit abandoned being shot in a mm -hmm, spaceship to <laughs> from uh, a different planet Krypton. to Earth, yes. right? Uh -huh. Krypton. <laughs> Cal, Cal L is his name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there. I was trying to do a, a thing, Hank. I was I was trying to say that all people are worthy of love, regardless of whether they came from a different planet. But it, the thing got ruined by me not knowing that <laughs> Superman is, of course, from Krypton, which is why Kryptonite is his problem. Yeah. Imagine being a human on a different planet where you can do pretty much anything you want, except that, like, if you get near earth dirt <laughs> things go real bad for you yeah it's not called earthite it's just called dirt yeah <laughs> it's, it's his one weakness it's got worms in it it's low me john what if there is a steering element to this does superman like it seems like he has to turn to the side to to turn which doesn't seem like how it works 
I guess I'm I'm a little bit confused about the physics of Superman. It's a great question. How would you turn? How would how do you turn? Maybe maybe you turn by thinking. I think that that's the main the main way. Or maybe it's like a segue and you just slightly reposition your weight right. and you're like, now I'm going west. Yeah. I feel like the, it could either be that the steering is internal to Superman, in which case it is something that he just does with his mind. Right. The, because it doesn't seem to require any physical effort. Or yeah. there's You some, never see him like like put one arm slightly to the side to like push him to the right the way right. you do with wing suitors. Yeah. Like it's unclear to me. But it does look very cool and it looks way cooler than not doing that. Especially when you got a cape. Why else would you wear a cape? This dude is vain. Such a good point. And you know what? While we're dunking on superheroes, I would just like to say that all these years later, I continue to think that Batman is the single most overrated superhero. And I think history has shown me to be correct in ways that none of us back in 2010, when I first said that Batman was an overrated superhero, could have possibly foreseen. I Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. I, that's a great point, John. I also feel... Like, if you wear a cape and you are not in the 18th century, then you cannot be trusted. Mm, I don't know. Okay. I got a cape. Do you have a cape? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I... I, I oh, I, gosh. <laughs> no, yeah, I got, yeah, I have a cape. I haven't worn it in a long time. But when I was in sixth grade, I uh, I took up magic. Oh, yeah. No, I remember this. You remember yeah. my brief period as a magician? Uh-huh. Yeah, and, you weren't bad. Well, thank you. And I got a, uh, I got a cape to, uh, you know, to complete the outfit. It was like neon yellow and black checkerboard cape oh. that I would wear. And then I would do <laughs> close-up magic. <laughs> and <laughs> poor, I mean, I, I I so desperately want to go back to like that sixth grade kid. I I was I I had a really, really, really rough go of it, like bullying that mm-hmm. now would be considered abusive. And uh I really thought that if I got good at magic, then kids were gonna like me. Yeah, I remember you also felt that way about OP pants. Oh, God. I really, I thought those OP shorts, I had a matching OP shirt and shorts combo that I genuinely believed was going to transform my social. This speaks to actually why I had problems socially at school, (laughs) that I thought I was just like one matching shirt shorts Uh combo away from total success. And or close up magic. Yeah. Yeah. But that kid was also so so sweet. Like, yeah. I look back at my sixth grade self and I feel like a, a level of cringe and embarrassment, of course, because I was trying way too hard and yada, yada, yada. And there, and there were things about me that were really annoying and that were difficult for other kids. And I, and I totally understand that. But I also look back on, on it and I feel a lot of like sympathy for that kid. And I think like, you know what, the, the stuff that you were into was cool. And more importantly, like the way you were into it was so cool. And I like that about you. And I, I want to like, mm-hmm. I wish I could go back and tell my sixth grade self that. So if, if you are a sixth grader or you have a sixth grader, who feels similarly like, I think it's great that you love the stuff that you love and you love it the way you love it. I rescind, formally rescind my comment about capes. Oh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, no, you can't. Don't don't say that about capes. You're hurting sixth grade me with this close-up magic habit. <laughs> but I do have another question that has arisen. Oh, really? We're not gonna we're not gonna do this one question for the whole show. 
<laughs> I could probably count the the number of items I own from when I was in sixth grade on my fingers. Oh. Possibly on one hand. Yeah. Is that the case for you? And if so, why is one of them the cape? <laughs> it is the case for me. And I have I have no idea. It's one of those things where like because I held on to it, I feel like I should hold on to it. Yeah. You know, like I also Gosh. I also have my uniform from when I worked at Steak and Shake. Oh. And I'm not yes. sure why that's still there. I also have why? Oh. I also have the uh the B- Banana Republic backpack satchel thing I wore in middle school. It was sort of like a a side bag. It was sort of purse-ish. And all the other kids were wearing backpacks, but I was like, no, y'all yeah. are gonna love my satchel. Yeah, I remember that. You still have that. I still got that. Can you do can you do a full like uh, no. a John Green nope. retrospective nope. outfit where you wear nope. like like clothes from different <laughs> portions of your life nope. and it includes the cape? That's a hard and it's no. a project for awesome perk nope. and it's it's for charity? It's a hard no. I'll just donate. I'll just I'd rather donate. Is it for what about just for me? Can nope. you do it just for nope. me, your nope. brother who you love, no. No. who is very no. supportive of you <laughs> and who needs who needs some 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 reward for that? All right, we've got another question. Uh, this one comes from Clem, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a freshman in college, and it's not what I expected. Yeah, Clem, I know. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's yeah. always a little bit not what you expect, and right. then sometimes it's 2020. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's always like 20% disappointing, yeah. but it's not always like this. Clem goes on to write, maybe I romanticized college while I was in high school because I was so eager to have a new start. That's probably part of it. But also, like, you live in a social order that romanticizes college and makes lots of movies about how amazing it is and how great it is and how everybody has, like, 175 friends all the time and whatnot. (laughs) It could also be that the experience has been dramatically changed by, you know... But I had always envisioned college as a time when everyone found their place and very naturally made dozens of friends. I live in a single because of, you know, and I have two friends after two weeks. I'm neither of their closest friends on campus as I rarely get invited to things. How do I connect with my classmates? Is college as amazing as it's cracked up to be? Or do people just romanticize their college days in hindsight? The worst is yet to clem. Well, I'd, like, I'd, it, this is a hard thing in this moment. Like, I don't know what the regulations yeah, are. Yeah, I mean, the first, I think the first couple weeks of college are hard. Oh, yeah. Almost universally, mm-hmm. even if this weren't happening. But it's definitely more, I mean, much more isolating to live in a single, to not have a lot of opportunities for so- socialization. And I, I think over time, Clem, you will most likely find more and more of, of your people. But I remember feeling really uncomfortable and lonely Mm -hmm. for a a fair amount of the first semester. And then it kind of slowly got better. It didn't. It's not like I woke up one morning and I was like, oh, I have so many friends. Like there are periods when I felt lonely in every period of my life and college was no exception. And that was even, you know, obviously pre restrictions broadly. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I remember very specifically I had one I had a roommate. And, you know, we we hit it off pretty well, but I remember really specifically like sitting in my bunk reading notes from my high school friends and listening to music that I was trying to be cool by listening to 
and like right. like trying to discover things and find things that were different and differentiate myself and like like so like there's these like two competing things happening simultaneously like trying to define new interests while also like just missing so deeply those relationships that like that I graduated out of yeah the thing about high school is that like if you're lucky it gets good at the very end <laughs> And then they're like, now you got to go to college. And you're like, oh, great. Another thing that I'm going to have to spend like two years getting like comfortable with and good at. Yeah, it's definitely hard. I remember playing music, like music that I thought was very cool in the hopes that somebody would like be walking Uh by my dorm and be like, oh, now that person likes the cure and (laughs) ergo. Yeah. Which I don't think is like I think is is an it's not bad it's an irrational it's not thought bad. but but also like maybe if you maybe like recognize that maybe, other people I don't know are how, having I, those thoughts too and like they want yes. people to to think ah that person's cool I remember the first time right. I like went ahead and told somebody I thought they were cool they were like really yeah I was like yeah you're so cool yeah that's the other thing I would say actually Clem is that everybody or or a lot of people are having very similar experiences yeah. And so when I'm lonely or I feel isolated, I also become a lot of times quite self-conscious. And I start to think that like uh, if I'm in a room and I'm not talking to anyone, everybody's like looking at me and like thinking about me and how I'm lonely and how I'm isolated and whatever. But like in reality, all those other people are thinking about themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is this is the insight that uh, my wife Sarah had in seventh grade. That um, in the way that close up magic did not prove to be a magical uh, life altering uh, cure for my loneliness. When Sarah, at the age of like 12 or 13, realized that nobody was thinking about her because they were busy thinking about themselves, it was like revelatory. Yeah. Yeah. That took me like, that took me like, like halfway through college to get. Sarah's very self-aware. I I mean, I was like 32. (laughs) In fact, I remember Sarah, the first time Sarah told me that story being like, well, yeah, of course that's true for you. Like other people aren't thinking about you because, you know, they're they're thinking about me. (laughs) We're terrible. Why does anybody care about us? Oh because all humans and other residents of Krypton are worthy of love, Hank. Yeah. Yeah. Clem, in six weeks, will you write us and give us an update? Yeah. I think I, I think let's give it six weeks. Good luck. All right, John, this question comes from Larissa, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm listening from Brazil, and your podcast is very helpful and good in my life. I was talking to my friend, and we were discussing time and space, regardless of knowing not nearly enough physics, and she told me that if we happened to go somewhere really far away, like to another galaxy, and look back at Earth with cool telescopes, we could see dinosaurs, because light years and time and weird space stuff. Is that true? And if so, how is that true? Thank you, confused Larissa. Before Hank answers this question, I am going to offer context because I did not know this until, I don't know, fairly recently in my life. When you look at like the sun, Mm -hmm. you're actually looking at the sun like a few minutes ago because the light of the sun takes a few minutes to get to Earth. And when you look at a star in the sky, a lot of times you're looking at that star like 100 years ago or 200 years ago because that star is 200 light years away, which means going at the speed of light, it takes light 200 years to get from that star Mm -hmm. to 
us. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is how we can look very, very deeply into the past. Like we can look like billions and billions of years into the past by training telescopes into places that are very, very far away. Mm -hmm. And that is very, and that is cool. But now Hank is going to give us the bummer. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. So we've got two problems here. One, we've got the problem of how to get somewhere instantaneously and break the laws of physics by folding space on itself or something. So if you can get 65 million light years away, so that's the, the farthest you need to get away to be able to see dinosaurs before like the extinction event. That, so that's the first part. That's that's hard. And then there's the second hard part, which is like building a telescope that can see 65 million year, light years away with like high resolution enough to like spot a dinosaur, which both of those things are impossible. But like if you could do one, <laughs> right. there's no reason to say you can't do the other because they're both impossible. So, so if you figured out how to <laughs> impossible yourself into one of those things, you might as well impossible yourself into the others. So I'm saying, yes, you can do it. What might be possible, probably not, but might be possible, <laughs> is for you to leave Earth right now and travel very near or at the speed of light which is the the fastest known speed we think things can travel. Yep. Now, it's quite probable that your body couldn't actually travel the speed of light without a bunch of super unpleasant and fatal things happening to it. But putting that aside, if we <laughs> You'd could, have to get up to that speed. Yeah, it would be hard. If you could travel at the speed of light and you could go like 10 million light years away, mm -hmm. and then you had a really good telescope, which I know is impossible, then you could look back... And you wouldn't see, like, life 10 million years ago, but you would see the moment you left Earth. Yeah, you'd have to get to the speed of light immediately, which would pulverize anything that existed. It would definitely be... Hank, there's a lot of problems with this hypothetical yes. scenario. Yeah, I'm okay. just saying that yeah. you... The other, the other problem is that it would take 10 million years. Yeah, and that would be which might problem. be bad for your health. <laughs> Though so now we're talking about like relativistic time, so it might not take 10 million. It wouldn't take 10 million years for you. Yeah. It might actually be relatively instantaneous. It would be instantaneous to you. Yeah. As I long think as you're it, going at the speed of light. It'd be a few seconds, even if you're going the speed yeah. of light, just from just from slowing down and speeding up. I think it's got right. realistically, you could look back at with your impossible telescope and you could see Earth maybe, I don't know, five minutes after you left it. And then you could become a distant observer of Earth, which would oh. be a cool job that maybe some alien has right now. I do want to talk about scales here just at the end of the question because I Great. think that this is interesting. So the brightest star in the sky, Sirius, is 8.6 light years away. So if you are on Sirius, you can see Earth as it was 8.6 years ago. No, the good old it, days. So to get so to get 65 million light years away, you need to be not in this galaxy. Right. So Andromeda is 2.5 million light years away. So that's also a totally different galaxy, still not anywhere close to far enough away to yeah. see dinosaurs. Yeah. So you have to be at galaxy NGC 4845 to be able to see a Tyrannosaurus Rex as it is going extinct. Which is such an important and nearby galaxy that it only has four <laughs> numbers in its name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it is it's not it's not close by. It we didn't we don't even have a name for it. Yeah, but the dinosaurs over there are incredible. <laughs>
All right, Hank, let's answer another question. This one comes from Lauren, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I make fan vids and write fan fiction and post them online. And recently I told my friend that I sometimes delete comments that make me feel bad about my work or could start an argument in the comment section because I prefer to keep my areas of the internet as positive as possible. Well, somebody doesn't work for Facebook. (laughs) My friend accused me of censorship and it's been bugging me ever since. Is it wrong for me to delete these comments when the platform allows me to, or am I just cutting out toxicity before it can grow. Yeah, so there's two ways to imagine. There's two two frameworks here. One is that this area of the internet is yours, and the other is that this area of the internet is some kind of publicly owned thing, and and like and and so uh, everyone has equal rights to it. And in this case, it is very cut and dried to me that that space is yours. Yeah. You decide. And you get to decide on the rules of that space. Like, if people are in my house, I get to decide what I think is, like, okay behavior. And if they, like, start smoking a cigarette, I can be like, don't do that. Yeah, it is the comment section to your story. You decide the rules of that comment section. On various subreddits have different rules, and those rules should dictate the kind of conversations that are possible in those spaces. This is a very common thing on the internet. It has been common since the beginning. There is no, like, time in the past when there was no internet censorship. Hank and I were on forums in 1991 that Mm -hmm. had rules. Yeah, rules! Yeah, and you don't even have to, like, rules also don't need to be written down when it's a small-scale space. Like, it is okay to have power over small areas, just like I have power over my home. The idea that, like, every space on the internet, like, there's this, like, weird idea that all internet spaces should be treated equally. It just doesn't make any sense. No, and just as if Lauren goes into somebody else's fan fiction comment section and says, you know, Batman's a really great superhero and you guys are idiots— then that person has every, it's fine if they delete it. Yeah. We are never going to get to a place where we have healthy spaces online (laughs) if we don't acknowledge the fact that, like, toxicity spreads so quickly. Yeah, it really does. And, like, I do think that, like, it's important to note that, like, people can have differing opinions. And if, like, the response to that that, that different opinion is... I don't want to hear it, and I also don't want other people to see it. I'm going to exercise my power to allow some other people to not see it. Then, like, there are situations in which that is a problem. But this is not one of them. Right. Because that's not the function of that space. Right. Like, that's not what it's trying to do. Right. And so, like, we have to have different rules based on the utility we are trying to achieve from different tools. Yeah. And, like, different areas of the internet are are for different things. Exactly. Like, there's also norms, you know? There's norms that, like, when you come over to my house for dinner, like, we're not going to get in a heated argument because that's not the function of this space. Yeah. Not that people are coming over to my house for dinner anymore. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by Dinners with Friends. (laughs) That was nice. (laughs) This podcast is also brought to you by John's Cape. John's Cape. Now that we know it exists, we are not shutting up about it. No, that's see, that's why I almost didn't tell you was because I didn't I didn't want it to become a thing. John was like, yeah, we offline and was he was like, is this too embarrassing? I was like, absolutely not. It's you know, I feel like one of us is looking out for the other and the other of us maybe is, is thinking more 
about what's good for the audience. All right. Today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by The Cure. The Cure, if you hear it pumping from a dorm room with an open door, feel free to just peek your head in and say, oh, I really like Friday. I'm in love. You're so cool. (laughs) You are actually, if you listen to The Cure now, you're so much cooler (laughs) than you were if you listened to to The Cure when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, Lord. And this podcast is also brought to you by Superman's Vanity. Superman's Vanity, driving a huge number of his decisions, but certainly not all of them. We're not saying he's a bad person, just that he wants to be loved. Project for Awesome message from Mary to my fellow nerd fighters. Thank you for being such an awesome community. Every day, it seems like I'm hearing about acts of charity or kindness. Every December, I can't wait for the Project for Awesome. To me, it is my new Christmas. You are all amazing people and don't stop being awesome. Thank you, Mary. And thank you for using your Project for Awesome donation to spread the love. And Mary, and also everybody, we've been talking about this some, but I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast. Unfortunately, for this particular circumstance, we are moving the Project for Awesome to... Uh, the beginning of the year instead of the end of the year. So it'll be in the beginning of 2021. And in order to avoid some of the difficulty of that time in general, uh, not just this this year, but all of the time, because uh, there's just lots going on in people's lives, both uh, our employees and also everybody else. So we're uh, we're moving it. And we can, you can hear more about uh, the the hows and the whys of, of, of us moving it soon. We'll be talking about that on Vlogbrothers. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, There will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year, for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Yeah, so I guess now Christmas is going to be in February. Heck yeah. John, this next question comes from Scarlett, who asks, Dear Hank and John, so I'm confused. Why aren't shadows completely black? I know it has to do with, like, light reflecting, but I'm unclear on the details. And why aren't there a kabillion shadows everywhere from light reflecting and making, like, double shadows? Not the color Scarlet. Oh, boy. I I have answers to all of these questions. I love it. Yeah, this is deep. I love it. This is deep. First of all, when you're outside, shadows, oftentimes there's there's like no, like there's not much of a clear shadow at all because the sky is bright. So the sun is bright, but the sky is also bright. Especially like you could notice this, for example, when the sun is completely obscured by clouds, that the sky is still quite bright in the daytime. I don't know. Not here in Indiana. (laughs) 
But it is admittedly brighter than it is around midnight. Yes. And so all of that light that's being diffused by all the molecules in the atmosphere is getting scattered around and will land and shoot in like really sort of like surprising directions, like tons of different directions. I first found out about this when I was doing 3D modeling once upon a time in a former career. And in order to like create realistic objects, you have to you have to light not only from point sources, but from a dome. So you have a, like a sort of a, a dome that you build around your your object, and then you have light come from every point in that dome toward the the interior, and you're basically creating a sky. Um, and that allows for these like shadows that you only see when you're outside. Now, in inside, we also tend to have light coming from lots of different individual places. So it's rare that you have one point source of light in the room, but also it's bouncing off of walls. It's bouncing off of anything that right. isn't p- pure black, basically. And so you you get shadows that that are filled in by that light that's bouncing around. But you can get very there are ways to get very dark shadows. Yeah if you're trying to get them for some artistic reason or cinematographic (laughs) reason or whatever, Mm -hmm. single points of light aimed directly at something with not very many reflective surfaces around. So dark walls, curtains, that kind of stuff. That'll that'll darken up shadows if that's your concern. But it doesn't seem to be. It just seems to be pure curiosity, (laughs) which is beautiful. And this is why on the moon, where there's no atmosphere and also... Contrary to what you may think by looking at the moon, the rocks are quite dark. Um, shadows are very, very dark on the moon. Are they really? Yeah. You know, that's that's something I, I like. I, that's something I would never have guessed. But I now that you say it, it makes total sense. Yeah, the moon is weird and difficult. Like the horizon is closer than it is on Earth because it's much smaller. And then the, the other thing is that nothing looks far away because there's no atmosphere. So... One of the primary ways we judge things out past a certain distance when like binocular vision isn't helping us is the like stuff in the atmosphere that that occludes it. It makes it a little more blue, a little more cloudy, a little less fun, like a little less detailed. Um, and we on the moon, like you could see a rock that looks like it's, you know, 20 feet away and it's quite small, but it turns out it's a boulder that's like a half a mile away. Wow. That's wild. It's cool. All right, Hank, before we go back to space with the news from Mars, which I know you're excited about, first, I need to read you this email from Alexis, who wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, at the beginning of the pandemic, my sister and I decided we wanted to hatch chickens, since we had nothing better to do. We hatched 10 chickens and one duck because the people who sold us the eggs messed up (laughs) on April 30th. We named them, and I named one of the roosters Hank and the other rooster John. They've been named this ever since we could tell them apart from the others. John was the soonest to grow up and started crowing and getting long tail feathers first, but Hank quickly outgrew him, (laughs) which is just like life. I attach pictures of what they look like now. The dark one is Hank and the lighter one is John. Sincerely, Alexis. P.S. They're really heavy. (laughs) And we will include these Mm -hmm. at the Patreon. We are so delighted, Alexis, that you and your sister chose to name your roosters after us and that I matured faster, (laughs) but Hank eventually grew to be larger and more interesting. John, do you have news from AFC Wimbledon for me? Oh, do I ever. Hank, it's starting to seem, and this is a very strange turn of events, It 
It seems like we might be good. Ooh, that's that's that is a that is a twist. I mean, after the last few years, a huge twist. So AFC Wimbledon, playing in the third tier of English football, are now three games into their season, and we have not lost. And not only that, we just won a game at Fleetwood. We won the game away from home with 27% possession. Oh, and well, that's not great. They never looked dangerous, and we were terrifying in counterattack. Like, I, I have watched a lot of AFC Wimbledon games, and we have at times looked competent. <laughs> we have never been what I would call fun to watch, you know, like on, on a pure entertainment level. But I'll tell you, the first three games of the season have been actively fun to watch. It has been really exciting football. Like, I, it's just, I, I can't believe it's all happening. Plus, Steve Seddon, our best player uh, from, I can't remember if it was last season or two seasons ago, but I mean, really, one of the best players in in the third tier. Steve Seddon has rejoined AFC Wimbledon on loan, and he scored the goal that that uh, saw us beat Fleetwood one nil. And he looked incredible. And so I'm looking at AFC Wimbledon after three games in eighth place, and admittedly, it's a 46 game season. There is a long way to go, but we look good. So how how do you end up? In a situation where Fleetwood had had way more passes than you, yeah, way more possession than you, yeah, but but fewer shots on target and the same number of shots on goal. How does that happen? Well, because we sat back and let them have all of the little backwards and sideways passes they wanted to have, uh. and then every time they tried to pass it forward, we were like, "Now nah, we're not, you know, we're going to take that ball." Yeah, take that back. Yeah, go back. Go back to your side of the field. We're going to take that ball and then we're going to kick it really long to Joe Piggott. And then Joe Piggott is going to run it down and he's just going to kind of like get his body between you and the ball and he's going to frustrate you. And then the best part, Hank, the best part was that after the game, the manager of Fleetwood Town, this guy, Joey Barton, Mm -hmm. he was like, they came in with a plan to waste as much time as possible and play really negative football. Of course we did. (laughs) Uh, you're right. We did come in with a we scored a goal in like the eighth minute. And yes, then we wasted time. Like, how do you, how else are you going to win a football game? And so I just I, lo- I, I love to see it. I love to see the like salty tears of, well, that's a really negative way to play football. Oh, I'm sorry. I, we're, we're in the third tier of English. Lionel Messi isn't available. Okay, so like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play some. The, the goalkeeper is gonna kick some long balls to the forward. That's just the way that it's gonna be. Like, you know, if you don't like it, get a job in La Liga. Oh, it That's was great. I, 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 you can hear it, Hank. You can hear the hope in I me. I can. Like, I'm, I'm feeling I'm it. Turn it all around. Also, I should add that uh, Nerdfighteria's advertisements have gone up and you can see them if you watch the live streams uh, on the AFC Wimbledon app. You can see the in the home games, you can see our advertisements along the side of the stadium. Uh, and they they re- they really do make me make me tear up. They're so lovely. And it's great to see DFTBA on the back of the shorts of the team in eighth place 
in League One. Amazing. It, it can't last, but what a joy. Woo-woo! What's going on in Mars? Did we get that uh, sensor any deeper into the Martian surface? <laughs> no. No, that one... I haven't brought that up recently because there hasn't been any news on it, uh, except that it's it's probably a lost cause. But who knows? Who knows? I don't know what they're... If they've got any other plans. So, uh, but the news is that the Perseverance rover is on its way to Mars. Uh, and also, it is scheduled... Like, the, the plan is to drill samples and put them in tubes and then later return them to Earth via some other future mission. So it's going to store these samples and be like, hey, come pick them up um, if we have some way of figuring out how to do that. Um, so it's it's designed to work with a future mission to return samples to Earth. It's very exciting, but it only has a few tubes uh, in which to store these rocks. So how do we figure out what samples we're going to be keeping? Well, we have more information now about the Planetary Instrument for X-ray Lithochemistry, which is shortened as PIXEL, which is a nice shortening. It's about the oh, size... Oh, they always find a way to acronym <laughs> it. <laughs> it's about the size of a lunchbox, and it'll hang on the end of the Perseverance rover's arm. And its job will do a whole bunch of X-raying of various samples. And most Mars missions have included an X-ray fluorescence spectrometer, and most Mars missions have included an X-ray fluorescent spectrometer, but technology has been improving, and Pixel will be using a super narrow X-ray beam that will be able to gather details about really small features on Mars. So they say it's going to be able to see pieces of Mars that are as small as a grain of salt. And gathering this really fine detail and combining with all a bunch of other chemical information about Mars is going to help scientists understand all the way back from Earth what they're looking at. Could even help us identify fossilized microbes if there are any, but most importantly, be able to identify which samples are going to be the most interesting samples to store for potential later gathering and shipping back to Earth for serious analysis. Yeah, but it would be pretty cool if they happened to find some fossilized remains of bacteria. Oh, you know. That'd be fine. That'd be a I, I would argue that would be a significant bonus to the mission. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm just uh Let's just let's just say that the uh, the more likely the more likely outcome is that we get to do cool chemistry, <laughs> right? Which is fun too, because in the end, life is itself deep down just cool chemistry. Yeah. And on that note, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Thank you for making a podcast with me, John. I enjoyed it. I'm so gr- glad that we get to do it. Yeah, me too. How lucky are we? Super, super lucky. I'm sorry that we only got to four or five questions this week. Well, I mean, it's not our fault that that question about Superman demanded 30 minutes of our time. <laughs> you can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We're off now to record our Patreon-only mini-podcast This Week in Stuff over at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Devoki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Granarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.